Hey, and welcome to Overtime. This is Dribble's audio companion. And this is our first foray into the world of audio. And today we are going to talk with Ian Brignell. And uh, Ian is a lettering, logo, and font designer from Toronto, Canada. His client list is kind of mind-blowing. Let's just put it that way. Budweiser, Smirnoff, Crown Royal, Miller High Life, Coors, Harvard, Duracell, Dove, Vaseline, Burger King, Hunts, Ketchup, Bauer, Chapstick, Playtex, Hellman's, Mayonnaise, Estee Lauder, Swiss Chalet, Hershey's. The list goes on and on. The guy is amazing and should be a legend and should be a household name. We were really honored to be able to talk to him today, talk to him about his background, his process, tips on uh, designing, lettering, everything. And it was a really great conversation, and we're really excited to share it with you today. So without further ado. Okay, so welcome, Ian Brignell. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Dan. Yeah, it's super it's super exciting for us because we have not, you know, delved into the world of audio before. And for us to be able to talk to you for that first time is is pretty amazing. It's actually uh quite an honor because your your work is is ubiquitous and it's everywhere and we're we're big fans. And you've just joined Dribble uh recently, mm-hmm. um, which we're quite excited about. And so I think there's a lot of questions that come to mind when you say, hey, you're going to be able to talk to, to Ian Brignell, this super talented um, designer. And I guess just to, just to start things off, you know, I'd love to know just a little bit about your background and your, your upbringing and childhood and whether you know, design or fonts or lettering was something you were interested in as a, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, as a kid, my, my main interest... Uh, besides sports and watching television, was uh, was drawing. So so that's I think where everything started was an interest in drawing and sketching, doing cartoons, all that kind of thing. So I always had sketch pads, I always had markers or pencils, whatever I could get my hands on. I was always drawing things, and that, as it turns out, is pretty much the fundamental skill for for lettering too. I mean that's that's the starting point. But it's funny, there was, a, there was this one incident, I remember in grade four, I was in reading class, and I was kind of bored by, by the book we were supposed to be reading, and I found myself staring at the type, yeah, you know, the 16-point century type that was printed on the book, and I, I wondered, you know, could I draw that stuff? And so I grabbed a pencil, and, and so I tried to copy it size as, and I guess whatever the result was, it was good enough that I thought, wow, People can draw letters. And it's one of those funny moments, you know, my little grade four brain. I, I knew that books were printed by these huge machines, and I just kind of assumed that's where the type came from. Yeah. And, and when I drew letters and they actually looked kind of like the letters, you know, something went off in my head, and I thought, man, that's like the world just changed. <laughs> um, and then, so, so that was its own funny little moment that, that I think kind of started it. But what really happened was around grade nine, uh, I was in art class in high school, and the teacher did sort of a two-week course on calligraphy. You know, broad pens, you know, ink. She brought in a speedball lettering book to, uh, as sort of a sample book of, of styles that you could do. And the speedball lettering book actually had sort of methodology for how to create the letters, how to form them, which strokes to use. 
And uh, I totally loved it. And I couldn't believe that with these really simple tools, you can make these amazing textured, you know, satisfying, dense letters. And uh, that, that was really the, I, I feel very lucky that that happened with that teacher at that time, because I was completely smitten with calligraphy and, and what you could produce with, with these tools. And so then I started to do the, the graduation certificates for the school. I started to do sign painting for like local businesses. And that was the beginning of, of a career in, in lettering design. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I mean, that, it's, it's neat that you latched on to, to fonts and typography so young. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that a lot of most people overlook and they don't think about. I mean, they, they see it and they, they absorb it, but they don't, they don't really think about um, the fact that letters, you know, look different and there's different fonts and, and uh, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, and tell us a little bit more about the speedball lettering book because um, some, some folks uh, might not mm-hmm. know about it. it. sounds like a good resource though, for, or, or is it, or would you recommend that as for, for someone that's, you know, getting, getting started? The speedball company was a company that made metal, Nibs, pen nibs. Oh, okay. They made all kinds of them, all kinds of different shapes and sizes and whatnot. I don't know when the first one started. I've got one from 1952. Wow. Um, but I think they probably started in the 40s, maybe earlier. Someone out there knows the answer to that question. Wow. But and this was like, it was a little manual to support its products so that people could, you know, almost anyone could grab this book and make good use of the tool. So I would say that's a good resource, but the best resource, if you were into lettering design as I am, the best resource for me, I discovered in college, and it was a book called Lettering for Reproduction. Mm. And this, is, this was pre-computer, so it was all on paper, but it was this great book that told you about the history of lettering, taught you about classifications and styles. It taught you how to actually think about lettering uh, it taught you all about the the optical effects that determine how to draw letters and make them balanced it, it was a on its own a great lettering course and i was lucky enough to find that in probably first or second year of college and that was really what taught me how to be a lettering designer was that one book lettering for reproduction Wow. Written by a guy named uh, David Gates, I believe. And I think you can still get it because I'm always recommending this book to people. And they tell me that you can still find it. But that, that was an excellent book, and I still refer to it Yeah, from time. Oh, that's super. That, that's awesome. Um, I'm, picking, yeah. I'm picking up both of those immediately. Uh, <laughs> so I'm curious, too, like being you know interested in type at such a young age, like, do you mm-hmm. feel that's a curse too, in a way? Because like, everywhere you go, there there's lettering and fonts. And I know I I came into to well design and and specifically typography. I guess like you know much later in life, and it and it's something I I think I always had a appreciation for, but never you know applied mm. myself to it till later. But now I almost feel a little bit cursed because you're not just absorbing the information; you're actually like you know looking at the design of the typeface or. I'm just curious if you're, you know, if you're drawing inspiration from the things around you there, or is it is it more like I'd rather not see, <laughs> I'd rather see less fonts than uh, more. I'm curious uh, what your take on that is. Well, um, yeah, I'm always getting inspiration from everything around me, and uh, I, I basically can't get enough of it. 
it's kind of like endlessly interesting to me. And it's funny, you were talking about at a young age, sort of coming across this. And I realized that, you know, what I do now is I'm trying to express emotional qualities in a logo for people. Typically, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make something feel joyful or, you know, serious or trustworthy or premium, whatever. And as a kid, uh, you know, you'd watch those movies, those World War II movies, and they'd have some, you know, be the Nazis and the British, and you'd be in Germany with that, you know, really dense kind of threatening fractor style of lettering. I really felt that stuff. Like I felt the menace. I, I think I just have this weird emotional connection with letters. Yeah. I think everyone has that to an extent, but I think I, I have it to a large extent. And, uh, I, I, I'm ne never tired of that. Never tired of the emotional effect the different letters, different arrangements can have. And that's luckily I get to work with that all day, every day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and lucky for us, too, because your work, like I said uh, in the You're intro, <laughs> the work is is everywhere. And uh, I think that's what's kind of incredible. In fact, like uh, when I first came across your portfolio, I, I have to admit, I, I thought it, I didn't think it was real because I <laughs> there was just so many, so many uh, recognizable brands and uh, logos that I that I know and that everyone knows. And, um, you know, things that are lined up at the supermarket or so I, I almost thought, oh, this this must be someone that's just, you know, uh, putting together a portfolio and they're practicing, like putting it together. Yeah, practicing copying and pasting. Yeah, because yeah, it's just like, <laughs> how could how could this be one person? And it says Ian Brignell lettering design. Um, so you are a, a one man show. Is that is that right? Yeah, I yeah. am a one man show, but it, it's. It's very important to, to recognize that my clients are design studios and ad agencies. So my clients are creative directors and art directors. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I'm doing a logo or an identity for someone who's typically in charge of a, an overall program. Right. right. So everything I do is a collaboration. You know, I don't, I almost never work directly with the, the sort of end user, gotcha. or, you know, yeah. the, person the brand. Yep. Uh, so in that sense, it's always a collaboration. But yes, I work by myself, um, partly because I, or mostly because uh, I, I like things to be simple and I like to be 100% responsible for what I do. Mm -hmm. So to follow up on that, um, did you work with non-creative directors in the past and that, that was less fun? Or in other words, has, has only working with uh, agencies and... Um, creative director has been a, a conscious thing that, that makes you more productive and you're able to, you know, bang out more work that way. Or is it, uh, it's just mm -hmm. the way, the way things kind of fell into place for you. Yeah. I think it's just the nature of the work I do that the, the, the simplest way of doing the work is to go to the people who might need it Yeah, and who, who speak my language. You see, that's the great thing is that mm. I'm dealing with people who are basically like me. So there is no communication problem. Right. We understand each other. We tend to have similar references when we talk about design or styles or you know, emotional effect. Um, so in that sense, it's very easy. And it's, it was really just the only way I could see of doing it. Um, as soon as you go directly to the company, to, to the person in the company that owns the brand, then you basically have to be a design studio and you have to offer all the services. And 
I was really just interested in doing the lettering design itself. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And I guess when I, when I started to specialize as a lettering and logo designer, um, the obvious thing to do was contact all the people I'd gone to college with who worked in studios because they knew me, they knew I was into this and that <laughs> I had some abilities. So that was my, those were my first stops was to go and see my friends I'd gone to school with and everything sort of took off from there. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. so there's no, uh, there's no one to say, Hey, this needs more pizzazz or wow. <laughs> like, cause they speak your language. Right. So when you're, when you're, that yeah. must make working on uh, this stuff a lot easier, I would think. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's, uh, there are very few communication problems. And to me, those, those can be the biggest problems yeah. in business is, you know, poor communication or a communication gap. And there's very little of that. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a very good job in that sense. Believe me. Yeah, no, I bet. Yeah. So, and uh, you do call yourself a logo lettering and font designer mm-hmm. um, yes. and, and not, not necessarily a, a typographer, even though you, you have started a, um, a foundry. Yeah. Uh, IB type. Is that a conscious thing too, in terms of, is it just semantics or is there something more behind that? Uh, it's, it's pretty simple. I just feel that typographers is a very general statement. It's a very general description of almost anyone who works with type mm-hmm. that, that or at least that's how I see it. So almost any graphic designer is a typographer because they're using type as their, their raw material. It's the basic building block of what, what they're going to work with. So to me, that's just a general term. Whereas what I do is, is very specific in that, you know, I'm trying to manipulate the shapes of letters themselves to convey a, a particular like emotional message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, actually. That makes sense. And what you're delivering to the to the client uh, is is an actual, well, in some cases, is an actual font, right? Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are quite a few custom fonts that I've done directly for, you know, for clients. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely part of the work, no question. So here's a question for you. And I, <laughs> one of the first things that came to mind, like going through your portfolio and just being kind of legitimately amazed at, at how many brands you've worked with um yeah. when you go to the grocery store for instance do you enjoy that or is it stressful to see you know all, all your work everywhere alongside a bunch of other stuff and or is it fun to see is it fun to see your work everywhere oh it's and, it's fun i love that all right good and and part <laughs> of the reason is because all these sort of angst and uncertainty and any of those kind of things that you might be thinking about uh, I, I do that before I send before I send the work out. Mm. So you know what I mean. So when I yeah, go there yeah. now and see something that I did five years ago, it's like, oh, great! Glad to see that's still out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? That they haven't yeah. changed it. I'm yeah. really happy when it, it still exists. And but I don't I don't sort of uh, stress about oh I should have done this or I should have done that. Once it's done, it's done. Yeah. And I really like to sort of move on to the next thing. And you know I am obviously very careful and try to make sure that absolutely everything is nailed down so that I don't have to look at it five years later and regret things. But right. yes, it's fun. It's fun to go to the store, the, the beer store, the liquor store, the grocery store. I, I love seeing the stuff out there. <laughs> I, I bet. Really, I bet. Yeah. It, uh, that must be, it must be mind blowing. Uh, so mm-hmm. do you see things that, that bother you that you like, ah, I wish, you know, I like that. And they, obviously it's, it's working and it's, 
it's been up there for five years or whatever but something there's some sort of niggle there that you wish you had done differently or yeah mostly no yeah that's mostly cool. and it's kind of like what happens when if a client sends me a layout and they've sort of they've done a placeholder and you know they say okay now we want you to develop this and refine it and give it these qualities often you start to change that thing you start to do what they've asked and they kind of go oh we sort of like where we started because you get <laughs> locked into something. Yes. Yep. And that, that's one of those pitfalls of design is you, you do something, you look at it over and over a number of times over a number of weeks and you can't, you have a hard time getting beyond it to seeing what it might be. And sort of that's part of my job is to, is to take it somewhere else for good reasons. But yeah, once something's done and it's solid and it's on the shelf, I tend to be pretty happy with it, to be honest. That's great. I mean, if you weren't happy, that would be a tough, a tough yes, life. You have to be, avoid yeah. about every product out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> it mean you were doing something wrong, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I, I mean, you should be critical of your work. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, there may be times when I go, oh, well, maybe this or that, but it, it doesn't bother me. I don't worry about it because also if I wasn't, if I'm not better now than I was 20 years ago, there would be something wrong. Mm as well so there will be tiny things that i think oh that maybe that could have been a little heavier that could have been spaced a bit more or whatever but yeah. yeah certainly it doesn't bother me and if i look at it and think i couldn't do that now i'd be worried <laughs> good point that's a great point in, in terms of process because you, you talked a little bit about you know showing something to the client and the client is is getting attached to an earlier mm -hmm. revision that you sent them how does your process typically work i mean you're working with um if you're working with an agency or creative director, is it mostly you on your own until you've sort of perfected things and then you present it? Or um, I, I know I'm always interested in how designers present their work, you know, whether they're presenting options or just, you know, one thing uh, like the Paul Rand style, you know, you just this is it. And, that, and you know. If you if you don't like it or <laughs> hire someone else, kind of thing, or yeah, um, no, I, I absolutely don't work that way because yeah. again. I work as a collaboration with other people right. and other designers specifically. So usually it's a case of here's the logo we want you to design or help us with. Maybe you can show us four or five ideas. We'll kind of narrow it down from there. Maybe show one or two to our client and then finish off whichever one they decide to use. That, that's a fairly typical process. Mm -hmm. And I like to show things at an earlier rather than a later stage. I, I like to share the stuff and, and often I'll send more than, than they've asked for because if I've seen other options, I'll explore them, send them so that we can have a discussion because I, I can never be sure, despite the brief and despite what they've asked for, I can't be sure which of the things I explore they're going to end up really liking. Right. So I would rather show them more at an earlier stage than, than do too much editing on my own. Because I think that's part of the whole process is we're exploring something, so you might as well see as much as you can. Yeah. And because, you know, these, these two ideas that I might have eliminated might have really interesting little details that we can build on. And yeah. that they know, because ultimately, they you know, the creative director knows the client and the project better than I do. So I always have to keep that in mind and trust that. Yeah. And so I'd rather they see more because they've got a more global view of the whole project. 
Yeah, that that makes good sense, and that's a, I think that's a good way to work, even outside of graphic design. Just you know, building websites, for instance, okay. in my experience, it's always been, uh, you know, the more sharing internally, uh, the better uh, for for mm-hmm. iterating. And yeah, I'm curious too, in terms of actual process, you know, on on your end in creating the the work, you mentioned you're at an early age, you know, drawing letters with with pen or pencil or in calligraphy, is that still how you approach a project initially, and or is it sort of digital, analog? Is there a mix there? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's a total mix. It depends yeah. on the project and the kind of lettering that they need. If it's going to be a script, often that will start on paper, often with pencil. I mean, pencils are one of the best tools ever. You know, different sizes and thickness and softnesses of pencil, because you can do so much modulation with a pencil just with pressure and speed you can get all kinds of really great details and textures with a pencil but the other tool i really like is uh, a flexible fountain pen there's a pen called the miki falcon which i use all the time and so it's a slightly broad nib it's a gold nib and it's flexible and i actually bought it from this place called uh, classic pens classic fountain pens and they can modify the nib to, to make it more flexible. So I've got this really, really flexible nib. And they adjusted the feed so that the ink flows really freely. So that when you press on this nib, you get a nice kind of wide, heavy line. You can have this great control between thick and thin lines just with the pressure you put on the pen. And that's great for scripts. It's great for general ideas because as soon as you have a of modulation in the line like that, you get this energy, which is which is quite crucial to do at the beginning of the project. So you do that at the beginning with the sketch, you can carry that energy through. Whereas sometimes people will bring you a project and say, okay, this is kind of what we want. We've, we've kind of got this idea for this logo, but we feel it's kind of dead. So we need, we need to inject energy. That's much harder to do at the end of the, of the process. So tools like pencils and these flexible pens help you to work quickly and get that energy in the first place. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'll use those kind of tools, uh, but everything ends up ultimately getting scanned into the computer and, and then you know, perfected and worked on in the computer to be sent to the client where, because they always need vector art in order to be able to place the, the lettering into their layouts. Yeah, and so are, are you are you taking care of that too, and in, in terms of preparing the vector and, and oh yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah that's all part of and part sometimes of, uh, you know if it's a very sort of um, precise sort of corporate kind of logo the whole thing will happen on the computer right right it really depends like sometimes it's a very close in kind of process where they know what they want it to look like but they know the details need to be finessed or right. Right. Weights need to be finessed. And in that case, it just it all happens in the computer. Although I have to say that sometimes, even when you're working on a, a very sort of straight-ahead corporate identity, sometimes I need to sort of go to the side with a pencil and do like a five-second sketch to work something out. Like that's, that, uh, that's always part of the process mm-hmm. where you need to – like that's the fastest way to work out little problems is with a small, quick sketch with a pencil. Yeah. That's great. And are you a fan or not of tablet design, tablet sketching? Um, sure. And yeah, I'm. I basically use everything I can. So yeah. I use a tablet and a stylus for 
pretty much all the work I do on the computer. Nice. Yeah. And of course, within I use Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator, and within that, there's lots of different tools you can use, and you can kind of program them to to behave the way you want. You can modulate, you know, weight and pressure and thickness and all those kinds of things. If you're doing like a brush stroke, for example, so I use that for some things. I'll use pencils and pens and markers on paper for other things, you know, and also brush markers, which are, those are really cool because they don't really conform to any other sort of tool. They, they don't really act like a brush. They don't act like a pencil. So you get unique sort of results using that kind of a tool as well. So I'm open to almost any kind of tool. Sometimes you'll use uh, eyeliners or mascara brushes, like whatever to get, to get an interesting result. Uh, but yeah, I'm open to everything. Um, and the, the cool thing about computers is that computers cause you to make interesting mistakes because of the way they work. You know, you, you grab a, a vector point and you scale it when you didn't mean to. And suddenly there's this really cool thing looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Computers are cool because they introduce all their own little quirks and, you know, kind of personality as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's true. I, I, those happy accidents that happen can mm. can easily happen on in, in Illustrator, um, yeah. as opposed to paper. Sure. So, I'm curious about you know you, you work with so many brands and so many well known brands and well established brands and and does your personal feelings about a brand ever come into play when you're doing this or or for instance if you have a favorite ketchup and you're but you're doing the competitions. <laughs> lettering is that, is that ever conflicting or no or i would say i ever have sort of existential qualms about what i'm working on because every project you're basically trying to make your client look as good as possible yeah so i mean obviously it's a it's a real honor to work on some brands because especially things like I remember working on dove soap like that was one of those projects that was really exciting to me because i remember being being a kid watching TV and the Dove commercials would come on. Yeah, I remember it was on TV was huge and really important. And that was one of my earlier memories of, of television advertising was Dove soap. So I was really thrilled when that one came mm. on. Uh, and I think that's true of a lot of the big brands. You know, you you were, because they're big and they've endured. You know, you rem I remember them as a kid, and that seems to give them more importance. Yeah, it doesn't mean I treat them any better or worse, but. It does feel like a bit of an honor to to work on those big ones. That's for sure. I'll bet. I mean, there, there's a amount of pressure, I guess, on those, right? To to mm. to keep the yeah. her heritage in mind while you're while you're retooling something. Yeah, that's true, and 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 a certain responsibility because yeah, it would be nice to think that you're doing something that's going to last and and that truly represents the brand. I mean, mm. that is that is a big part of what we're doing. Yeah, is is trying to to get that across and make it as permanent as possible. Of course, you can't guarantee that, that, that it's going to be permanent, but I think that's how you should view it, that you're trying to get it right once and, and make it stick. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a good goal for sure. Mm -hmm. So you've just joined Dribble recently. Um, mm -hmm. I thought I'd ask you about a couple shots that you uploaded. Um, you know, your first one was kind of, a, kind of an amazing one, um, the Share a Coke font mm -hmm. project. And... Um, for those that that haven't seen this, but you've probably seen it on Coke cans, like you can get your, well, if your name, some names you can get 
on the Coke can. It says, you know, share with Dan or share with Ian or, yeah. uh, and, and so you've designed the, the font that these are made in and, and tell us about, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting how, what you had to work with to create that, you know? Mm. Well, that was an interesting project because it was a very, very quick short term project. And what happened was this client in Australia sent me the Coke logo just the word Coke. And he said, uh, he said, my client wants to know if you can make this into a font. <laughs> and I said, sure, I can do that. And he said, you know, how long will that take? And I said, well, I'm actually taking off in a couple of weeks. I'm going on holiday. So can it wait a couple of months? And he said, nope. So basically I, I had <laughs> about a week to get that font done and sent to him so that he could test it. But yeah, basically I, I had four letters to work with. And so the task was to see what the characteristics of those four letters were. Oh, wow. Right. So, you know, it was like a very bold font, very high contrast. So big difference between thick and thin strokes. Mm -hmm. It was a hybrid serif, uh, which meant that there were serifs on some strokes, but not all of them. It had this, uh, the K had this sort of long serif that touched the E and they wanted that as a, as a feature on all the serifs, they wanted touching as much as possible. Mm. So using kind of bearing that in mind, I, I designed the whole font with those characteristics. And, and it took a week, only a week to do that. Huh? Yeah. And it was a pretty intense week, I have to say, but I often find it's weird, but I often find that working on things like fonts, when you have to do it intensely and quickly, the result is often really, really good. Mm. And I'm not exactly sure why. I guess it's maybe a question of focus that you just you have to give it so much attention that it just seems to work out. So yeah, yeah, and that's happened on other font projects. A lot of, in fact, a lot of the font projects have been very very rushed because the end client has no idea how long it takes. <laughs> you know, to make yeah, the, they just want the font, and you know they want it soon. And uh, yeah. yeah, I've actually found that that, that that that's not a bad thing, not for me anyway. It seems to me, I'm not being a font designer, but um, I think if there was an unlimited amount of time, I'd be tweaking mm. vector points all day and never yeah. kind of being done with it, right? And um, I think ultimately that's that's absolutely the case. Yeah, is that, you know, there are so many working parts to it mm -hmm. that you could revisit things forever. So <laughs> the hard deadline is is not a bad thing. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's true yet with my own fonts that I'm working on. If, you know, there's some I'm working on, but I don't, I have not given myself an absolute deadline and yeah. it's taking too long. <laughs> right, right. You could endlessly tinker with it. Um, yeah. Was there, would there be a word? So you had the, the, the four letters Coke, K, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, K, uh, C O, well, there's a K, C O K E. What would be the ideal four letter word to build a font off of? Is is there are there certain letters that 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 are like okay if I had the mm -hmm. the K then I know oh well you do have the K if I had the R then I know I could you know riff off of that easier or you know I don't I I think that um, some font designers would say yeah that that maybe a lowercase G and maybe a cap K and hmm. there there are a few sort of notions on on what the ideal letters would be. But I figure, well, if all we've got are these four, the rest is up to me. Hmm, yeah. So I just, I just go with it. Yeah. Um, so I would say I don't think it really matters. 
I mean, if it was a word like look, that would that wouldn't be a lot of information, but you know, you just have to go from there and keep checking back to yeah. the original letters and yeah. you know, make it work as best you can. I mean, it is a it's a creative process. So a yeah. lot of subjectivity comes into it and you just have to try to make it all work, make it mesh and make the letters agree with one another. And I suppose that's more fun for you that way too, right? I mean, you're you can put a lot of your personality into all the other letters that weren't there. Yeah. Sure. I, I have a favorite letter, I think, of of this set. And uh, I'm curious if you have a favorite letter or or letters. <laughs> What's your favorite letter? Uh, well, I really like the... Um, I have two. I, I really like the lowercase y. Mm, okay. Because uh, it... And a couple of the letters have that that sort of the see I don't know, I don't know the term for it but the the little wispy thing at the end yeah the, the sort of tapered descender there tapered descender thank you yeah. Um, yeah I love that and um, and then I I like the I like the capital D um, mm-hmm. not because because it's in my name but it's but, yeah. <laughs> but uh but like you said earlier it's a it's a hybrid right so it's mm-hmm. like part serif part sans serif. Yeah, um, and that really works in with the D. It actually works with a lot of letters. It's 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 an interesting font, and uh, I'm curious. Also, well, firstly, uh, do you have a, f- a favorite letter or letters? Well, it's funny you should ask that because yeah. I would normally not have really thought about it, but a couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I were in Paris. And we're walking down the street, and we see this bus shelter with a Coke ad, and and we walk up to it, and my wife says, oh, stand in front of this. Can you take a picture? So I'm looking at the ad, and it, the name on it was Alex, A-L-I-X. And I'm looking at the X going, wow, you know, three years ago I designed this, like, in a big hurry. <laughs> I really do not remember designing the X that way, but I really like it. <laughs> so I had this great little moment of kind of appreciating what I'd done, having forgotten the actual design. So I guess I'm going to say X, the lowercase X was my favorite letter. <laughs> I like it. I love it. Yeah, it was pretty. Funny. I love all of them, actually. Um, well, thank you. Okay, so moving on to another one of your shots, one more, the the Budweiser label, mm-hmm. which I think you know. Again, like you're uploading this, I think initial reaction to folks would probably be, well, he's practicing just uploading images from, <laughs> from where, <laughs> right? You know, it's kind of it's just amazing to me that they. That they <laughs> that uh, that you're the one person behind like the delivery of this, and um, so this is obviously a really iconic thing. The the mm-hmm. label or you know the can Budweiser you can get more like American than that. And uh, I just wonder if there was you know we touched on a little bit earlier about the the responsibility and the pressure of of dealing with such a iconic thing. Was that apparent in the Budweiser project? Yeah, it was because a big part of that project was heritage. They were trying to express the heritage, the authenticity of the brand. And of course, it's a brand that goes back to like 1877. Mm. So there was all this historical material to work with from their archives. And it was really impressive stuff. And yeah, so you do feel a certain humility and responsibility in in trying to mine that material and bring it to life. In, in a more modern setting and treat it all with a great deal of respect and, and sort of refinement. Uh, so yeah, I actually drew all the, the type, like every bit of type on that, the, the art director wanted done from scratch, you know, based on historical 
sort of inputs from wow. from Weiser Brand. Wow. All the illustration was done by other people, of course, <laughs> and the overall conception was done by the studio. Sure. But yeah, all that type he wanted done as custom. And so yeah, that was a great project because there was just all this material to look at, fascinating historical stuff, you know, labels and boxes and old bottles with embossed type on them and old signs. Like it was it was just a great immersion hmm. in the history of this this very significant brand. It must have been overwhelming to to have all that material to pull from. Yeah, it's it's a real yeah. treat, and that's one of the best parts of, of what I get to do is that often people are sending me all this old archival stuff that I would never see any other way. And it's got, there's just so much great lettering that's been done. Uh, hmm. In the latter part of the 1800s, early 1900s, there was just tons of great lettering, tons of people who were really good doing lettering. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a wealth of material from, from, well, basically all periods of history, but I find that period is especially good. You think there's a resurgence of, of that now, or, or it's always been there, or it's just of, more, more apparent of, of, of like hand, yeah, like the, the the art of lettering, I guess, or hand lettering, or I, I think it's got it's having a resurgence now, um, partly because of technology, because mm -hmm. people are able to share stuff, they're able to look into historical work very easily. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there is definitely a resurgence and an interest in in the sort of handmade and that feeds into sort of the lettering realm, definitely. Yeah, um, that, that's interesting that you, you said the it's because of technology. I think you're right. I, and I think uh, that's an interesting uh, irony that the technology is helping <laughs> discover, you know, techniques and artistry that was, that you know, that's old, older, maybe 100 years old, 200 years old, whatever. Yes. Um, that's, pretty, yeah. that's pretty great. As a, as a last question for you, I just, I wonder... Anyone listening to this is probably wondering, you know, gosh, how did how the heck did Ian do this and get so much good work under his belt? And and, and how how did he how to find how did he find all these clients? How did they how did mm -hmm. they come to him? Uh, that's a big question. But but moreover, you know, any any little tidbit of of advice for the young lettering logo font designer? Um, mm -hmm. Well, if there was one thing you could tell them to to do. To try to, to try to further and better themselves. Yeah. Well, it's interesting the way you frame that question. Uh, I think the best piece of advice would be respect your client. If if I'm going to boil it down to one, it would be respect your client. Because I I remember myself as a young person when I graduated from college. And the funny thing about college is that you know you're given a project by your professor. But then you're kind of in charge. You decide what it's going to look like, how it's going to evolve. Like you're in charge and you get used to that where you're the guy making the decisions and your opinion is the one that matters. When you get out and start working, I think a lot of people, a lot of people I knew had a lot of clashes because they weren't letting that go. And I think respecting your client is probably the best thing you can do. And that means that you're going to pay attention to the brief. You're going to respect the brief. You're going to revisit it. You're going to always keep that in mind because ultimately you're there only because your client exists. So I think, and that, that sounds like a business sort of proposition, and it is. And I think that's extremely important if you want to keep going and keep getting clients and making clients happy. 
That's what, that's the single thing you have to do. And it sounds obvious, but I believe that's what you have to do. Respect the client. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like you don't, and I think it's, it's the old uh, conundrum. Like people say, are you an artist? And I said, no, I'm not an artist. I'm a designer. Mm. I'm here to, to meet the needs of someone else to design something that satisfies their requirements. I'm not an artist. An artist kind of creates the subject matter and decides what the message is going to be. That's different. I'm a designer. And I think if you keep that in mind, that's a very, very good start. Hmm. I think that's good advice for everybody, regardless of uh, <laughs> uh, your level of, of skill or where you are in your career. Um, so that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Ian, thanks. Thanks so much again for chatting with us. This has been, it's been really fun. I mean, yeah, we're, we're such big fans and I think uh, your name should be a household name, much like the items that you're designing are household items. So I, think, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. And so where, where could, where could people find you uh, after this interview so we can make sure people can keep following your, your stuff and different projects you're working on? Well, they can find me on dribble. I'm going to be, I'm going to be posting there for sure. Uh, they can find me at ianbrignell.com. That's my portfolio site where all the work goes. And then also they can find my fonts, uh, my retail fonts at ibtype.com. Fantastic. Yeah, and you can, at ibtype, yeah, you're, you're actually uh, selling your fonts mm -hmm. or some of them, um, which, is, which is pretty great because not only can we look at your good work, but we can... We can use it. <laughs> we can actually yeah, take it home true. and use it. Yeah, and have which, fun with it. Which is fun. Yeah. So thanks once again, Ian. This has been a pleasure. And, yeah, thank uh, you, Dan. It's a pleasure talking to you. Keep up the great work. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'll certainly try, and thank you. Okay. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.